Welcome to The Manly Catholic. In this podcast, we will inspire, challenge, and equip all men to become the men they were created to be. Join us as we journey together to become the best versions of ourselves and strive to change our communities one man at a time. Hello all, welcome to another episode of The Manly Catholic. I am James, your host, and with me, a very special guest, Dan McNally. Welcome to The Manly Catholic. Thank you, James. It's good to be here. How you feeling? Nervous. So nervous. So nervous. And now I'm all jittery. See, Papa Joe with a cup of Joe. That was your joke, and I stole it. But now, about that now the internet knows that I yeah. steal jokes from people. And they know how funny I can be. <laughs> we're off to a good start so before we get going into more nonsense we're going to preach to you guys tonight we're going to start off with the saint michael prayer so start off in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen saint michael the archangel defend us in battle be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil may god rebuke him we humbly pray and do thou prince of the heavenly hosts by the power of god cast in hell satan and all the spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls amen and father son holy spirit amen were you gonna do a different version it's the one prayer that you can't be sure someone else is gonna say the same prayer which one which version are you thinking or protection oh that's right the classic debate the classic debate we're not gonna get into that tonight though we have a very special topic for you uh, ladies and gentlemen out there, it's going to be common misconceptions about the Catholic Church. Um, but before we get into that, you guys have not met Dan before. So Dan, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? How far back should I go? Um, probably the day you were born. <laughs> and then we'll... 1991. Oh, wow. Yeah. And everyone knows your birthday. Our Lady of Lords. <gasps> Pray for us. Amen. Uh, my name is Dan. I am a physical therapist. Fresh, uh, newly minted physical therapist. That's actually mm-hmm. how we know each other. Um, but it is a second career. My first career, I was a theology teacher for four years, two years uh, in Battle Creek and two years in Grand Rapids. Uh, studied theology at Franciscan University. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. I don't have a very long that's list okay. of accolades, as it were. What did you teach? Did you say that? Theology? You did teach theology. Did. Four years. Yeah, so I'm basically an expert. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically Dr. Scott Hahn. Uh, close. Yeah. Close. <laughs> I have met him. See, there you go. <laughs> Does that count for something? You, you stayed at Holiday Inn Express last night? <laughs> Got him. Sorry, I'm just drinking my coffee. So, okay, so why did you switch careers? So four years teaching, and then you said, I'm going to be a physical therapist like James. Because the kids drove me crazy. That's that makes not, sense. That's not that, true. That, I would I would believe that though. Um, Holy Spirit, I would say is a short answer. Mm-hmm. You know, a uh, lot of kind of background noise, uh, just kind of slowly. Maybe noise is the wrong word for the Holy Spirit, but just a little bit of kind of nudges over the last several years. Mm-hmm. Just kind of all my interests uh, and what I consider to be my skills and my assets, and um, yeah, just personality. They all seem to kind of pulling me in the same direction consistently so prayed about it really kind of took a few steps and doors kept opening and i just started jumping through them that's awesome so, yeah well welcome aboard as the physical therapy train thank you sir so a funny story so uh, i trained dan mm-hmm. for with our with our company and uh basically the first interaction we had we Within like five minutes, I think we started talking about that. We're both Catholic. <laughs> he saw the rosary uh, hanging out of my left left hand pocket, 
and then I he we got in my car and I forgot what was on. It was Michael, it was Michael Knowles. Knowles. Yeah, it was Michael Knowles. Okay, and they're like, oh. a rosary hanging out of his pocket, and he's listening to Michael Knowles. <laughs> I think we're gonna get along. Yeah, I think I need. I know most of what I need to know. Yeah. See, well, and here we are. So I do want to ask you. I don't know if I've asked you this before. So in your time of transition from teaching to PT, did or maybe you did this before? Did you discern the priesthood as well? See, that's a great question. My brother is a priest, so I feel like my whole life is a has been a constant like discernment. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Priesthood. So oh. it's an odd form of it, but mm-hmm. getting to see every step of the process for him has. I mean, maybe that sounds like a cop out answer, but I feel like I've had a different perspective on, sure. on that sort of discernment. But absolutely, yeah. Well, and as long as I'm unmarried, it's still a it's still a possibility. Right? That's true. I'm living that your that third your third life. career. Oh, maybe. No, Holy Spirit. I was only a teacher for four. So PT for four, and then priesthood for four. Should we tell our boss <laughs> that you might only be here for four years? <laughs> maybe not yet. Okay, fair enough. You've only been there a few months. All right, so, oh, I almost forgot. We almost got the questions. The questions. That's what I was hoping for. Are you ready for these? I will I will do my best. Come yeah. with the spirit. Um, in fairness to Dan, I forgot to send these beforehand, so he's kind of spitballing right here. So we'll see what you come up with. Okay, what's question number one? Question number one. If you could be the patron saint of anything, what would it be and why? I feel like if I were the patron saint of anything, it would be <laughs> having the best of intentions because I feel like I start a lot of projects and I'm not very mm-hmm. as much of a follow through person as a get real excited, create a lot of hype, really build something up. And then somebody who's more consistent than myself needs to carry, carry through those things. But I don't know. I feel like, you know, whether it's like forming new habits or trying new, just trying new things, I get really excited about stuff and a lot of the time, I'm just, I need to grow in fortitude. It's a Christian virtue. Oh, it is, it is a virtue. Goal, so you're like a, a small candle that lights and it's quickly extinguished. I feel like that's a parable. You could say that, I guess, if you want to. <laughs> is it a parable? Be like, be like a large candle that does not get easily extinguished. You know? Yeah, well, that's the goal. That'd be the <laughs> right. fortitude, right? Right. I'm not there yet. Oh, I had a follow-up question and I lost it. Oh, are you trying to form any new habits right now that Um, we can pray for you for to grow in fortitude? I would love that. Well, I will say one habit that has been forming lately that has been very successful is just going, get up and going for a walk every Mm. morning and praying my, uh, my, on my rugged rosary, not a a sponsor, but yet, but I will say I break pretty much all of my rosaries because I well. put them in my pocket or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've been getting up and praying a rosary and just going for a walk. And it is amazing how much just a walk and praying the rosary will, will just like clear my head mm-hmm. of anxious thoughts of, you know, whatever worries about the day. And you really just, it's so good. And that has been fairly consistent. So maybe I am turning a corner in there, turning a corner. Please pray for me. How long have you been doing that for? Like a month and a half. Nice. Yeah. How long does it take to form a habit, they say? It's like 30, 30 days so if You made it. Here I am. So do you like, you get up, you roll out of bed, and you put on your shoes and go for a walk? Yeah. And wow. It's, it's the habit, I would say, it has enough strength to it, enough, you know, 
I don't know what I was going to, what synonym I was going to try to use there. It's a strong enough habit. The other day it was cold and it was raining and I went anyway. And that's no credit to me. It's just the credit to like the power of forming good habits. They will make you do stuff when you don't want to do it. Absolutely. Both good habits and bad habits. Right. So. Right. Uh, great book is, uh, I don't know if you've read this, Atomic Habit by James, James Clear. Clear. Yes. yes. Fantastic book. One, one really important tidbit that I picked up with his book was pairing a habit with something that you actually enjoy. Yes. Habit stacking. Yes. And that, um, so I know, I think it was Matt Frad was talking, he did like coffee with the Bible mm-hmm. because he loves coffee and who doesn't love coffee? Speaking of coffee, um, so he paired it with reading scripture. So anytime he has his first cup of coffee, he reads scripture. It's so. a great, it's a great idea. It's you know, it's like one of those top five book things. It's any book that I have a hard copy and the audible copy mm-hmm. of a book. Mm-hmm. It's like top five, like Searching for and Maintaining Peace by Father Jacques oh. Philippe, Atomic Habits by James Clear. So good. What else do you have in there? Top what five. What else? Um, I forget what it's called. It's by Dr. Greg Bataro. It's either called The Mindful Catholic or Mindful... Look it up. Catholic Mindfulness. It's one of the two. And it, it's it got a lot of... I don't know if I would say similar, if it's exactly similar to James Clear's book, but it's got a lot of really good practical hmm. stuff in it. The Mindful Catholic, finding God one moment at a time. Really just practicing the presence of God is kind of the essential focus of that book. That's great. You, you know, it's a good book when the forward is by Peter Kraft. Yes. So this is true. I mean, Peter, Kraft it's like is an imprimatur, but not, you know, that's true. Very it's true. Like a fairly good guarantee. This is probably well worth your time. All right. Second question. Uh-oh. That was a good I, first one. I See, we were maybe skip the second. Too. No, okay. the first, the second one is if you could sit down with someone dead or alive, sorry, it's cannot pick Jesus. And have a beer with them. Who would it be, and why? You is know, you you brought up a very good point. It can't be Jesus because he, he's not dead or alive. <laughs> or no, what would you say? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> common misconceptions about say, the starting on the common misconceptions of what I said five minutes ago. Um, I don't think I said that. <laughs> you did not say that. <laughs> and this is funny because it brings me back to being a theology teacher because you have to be so careful with what you say because you're like, oh, I'm accidentally a heretic like at least <laughs> twice a day. Um, I think I said something along the lines of he he is he has died but is also alive. That's what you know, said. But then I guess people, saints in heaven are that too. Mm. So well, it sounded really good when you said it and then I just created Made a hearsay. I'm hearsay I'm using this stuff. time to stall because I still don't have a good answer to this question. There is no bad answer. I was gonna. I was. You can't pick me though either. I was honest. This is probably a cop out. I was gonna say my brother. Why is that fair? Why is that a cop out? He's a good guy to. What's well, I don't know if it's a cop out. But mm. he's a good guy to sit down and have a beer with. Why is he a good guy to sit down and have a beer with? Because he's uh, thoughtful and uh, intelligent. Mm. I would like to think that I'm thoughtful, but he's got both of those. So I have a lot, there's a lot you can learn from him. He's, I don't know. He's kind of a, kind of a super genius. That's comes nice. To, comes to all things. But I would say you're also intelligent. Yo, so don't give yourself thank you. short end of the stick there. I was just fishing for that. So I know you were. Words of affirmation <laughs> is your love it language. Is love language. So, all right. So let's get into the meat of the matter. So this is 
just a list we found online, but we both thought it was actually a pretty good list uh, of seven common myths or misconceptions about Catholicism or the Catholic Church. Myth conception. I like that. So, misconception number one. Dan, isn't the Pope always right? Yes. All right. (laughs) Moving on. Done. All right. So, yeah. So, this goes into papal infallibility, obviously. And I think a lot of people um, I know growing up to, Protestant, everyone thinks like, well, you guys think the Pope basically cannot sin. And that's not what papal infallibility is. So, maybe you can expand on that a little bit if you feel comfortable. I mean, again, it's this is me kind of tiptoeing around being a heretic accidentally, but my understanding is that when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, which is from the Latin for from the chair of Peter, and that has a few stipulations to it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what all of them are, but I think a few of them, for example, are like he explicitly states that he is saying something from that office from mm-hmm. that authority. He says specifically that it's binding on all Catholics throughout the world. And I think there's one other, there's one other, uh, I don't know, criterion for that. Um, but there's not, a. I feel like there's not a lot of statements that are strictly speaking ex cathedra. I mean, aren't there, I feel like the, the two dogmas assumption. Wasn't both about Mary. Yeah. Which we'll talk about later. Assumption, Immaculate Conception. But there's some writings of John Paul II in the late, uh, what was that, 1900, so it's the 20th century. (laughs) In the late 20th century, that kind of sounded like it too. Like there was, uh, I probably could have prepared better. Um, But there are some letters where he kind of ends them saying something like, and I'm saying this as the Pope and binding it, binding all Catholics to believe it. I think it was actually either... The all-male priesthood or or priestly... No, it was the all-male priesthood I think he was talking about. But anyway, Sorry, I'm, I'm listening. I'm just trying to find the, the criteria. Sure. Well, the other oh, here side, we go. The other here side we go. too, is whenever the Pope teaches something in union with all of the bishops of the church through an ecumenical council, mm-hmm. I believe, of which there have been, what, 21? All right, so... All right, so this was uh, the dogma of infallibility was formally proclaimed at the First Vatican Council in 1870. There are several requirements for a dogmatic papal infallible pronouncement. One, the pronouncement must be made by the lawful successor to, successor to Peter. So it has to be from the Pope. It has to be That's from the Pope. Fair. That makes sense. <laughs> the subject matter must be in the area of faith and morals. Also makes sense. The Pope must be speaking ex cathedra, that is, from the very seat in office of Peter. In this way, he must be specifically intending to proclaim a doctrine binding the entire church to its assent. If one or more of these elements is missing, there is no infallible pronouncement. Most examples of papal errors emerge when critics ignore the necessity of these three points. So is there actually a, 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 an official seat of Peter? No, I don't I don't think he used to sit anywhere. I mean, particular. it says the very seat in <laughs> office think, of Peter. I'm I just saying. I believe that seat is being used metaphorically here. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. But I see that, that we are getting that from Patrick Madrid. He's incredible. If you want to work on apologetics, oh my learn gosh. a little bit about defending the faith, Patrick Madrid is your man. And oh Peter Crave is also mentioned. So, I mean, <laughs> the two, that, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so again, there have been... I, I can't think of any specifically off the top of my head, but there's been several instances where, I mean, you can just, you know, Pope Francis has, has, has said some things in the past that 
people have misconstrued or maybe he wasn't clear on and, you know, a bit ambiguous in his language. Um, that does not mean he is speaking, you know, infallibly. That just means he is a man just like you and me are, and he can speak in error as well. But what this, what this um, dogma of infallibility is declaring is that there are only certain criteria that has to be met um, for the Pope to speak, and he can... Let's back up here. Basically, the Pope can never declare from the seat of Peter that he's speaking on behalf of the entire church, and and he cannot speak in error, essentially. So, a little trivia question for you, James. Oh, no. Put you on the spot. Oh, no. Uh, has this ever happened in the history of the church? Has the Pope spoken on faith and morals ex cathedra heresy? No. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> yes, that's that is. The, oh, that's that, good. Well, yeah, no, that and that's one of the kind of the beautiful things we talk about. You know, the abuses uh, in the in the Middle Ages of, mm-hmm. of kind of selling offices and, and right. you know, Medici popes and things like this. Of all the abuses, like that has never been violated. This teaching authority is not crazy that that Jesus gave right down uh, from the apostles down through today, like. Not violated, which is pretty wild, considering all the things that have happened. And all the bad popes that have been in history. Yeah. Like, who is the pope that that <laughs> took the pope, his predecessor and he... Had him assassinated, right? No, he, I... he brought him up from the grave. What? And he put him on the seat for trial. You don't you didn't hear about this? Oh my in gosh. My wow. Wow. I know about the pope that brought a horse into the papal palace, I think. Wow, who was that? Do you remember? I mean, I don't. Who was the Pope who dug up his predecessor? His arms? That was the auto-population. <laughs> <laughs> the cadavers conducted by Pope Stephen VI, political enemies of Formosus, had his nine-month-old corpse exhumed, propped up on a throne, and subjected to a mock trial during which a deacon answered for the corpse. That is uh, perverse. So, as you can see, there's been some right. pretty bad right. popes, but even they did not speak in error. Oh, wow. That is, is that a picture? <laughs> oh, wow. For those of you who are listening, it is a, it's a pretty weird picture. I'm going to post this for you guys. Nice. This is... That's creepy. It is creepy. Wow, why would you do that? What nine months will do to you. <laughs> uh, he was not um, incorruptible. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> we will say that. Uh, let me just put this here and get a new document up here. All right. So the Pope is the Pope does sin, everybody, but when he speaks specifically from the throne, let's go back to this. When the Pope, that's criteria number one, speaks on a subject matter in the area of faith and morals, that's two. And he's speaking ex cathedra, which does not physically mean he has to be on the seat. But he is speaking from the very seat in office of Peter. He cannot speak in error. He cannot lead the people of the Catholic Church into heresy. So you could have someone who is not the Pope speaking on faith and morals. I mean, I, I get, and pretending to speak ex cathedra, and that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. You could have the exactly. Pope speaking on faith and morals, but not ex cathedra. And you could have the Pope speaking on something other than faith and morals. And say it's ex cathedra, but if it's not faith and morals, then yeah, none of those work. Fun fact: Do you know where the word cathedral comes from? Cathedra. <laughs> that's, that's correct. Just take away the L. 
<laughs> for those who don't know, that's a fun little bit of uh, Catholic trivia. Every cathedral is the seat of the bishop in a diocese. So cathedral literally just means the place where the chair is. Really? So it sounds less epic that way. I like cathedral. It sounds Cathed- epic. We'll go with cathedral. Yeah, let's call it that. Number two. <laughs> this will steer some people's hearts and minds. The Catholic Church hates gay people. Let's get right into it. Let's just get to it. We start off a little light here. Now we're going to go right into it. The Catholic Church hates gay people, don't they, Dan McNally? Uh, no, I don't think so. How come? Sure seems like they do. <laughs> Tell me why. Tell me what you mean. I'm going to make a little dialogue, a little dialectic here. Oh, I didn't prepare. Oh, well. I'm not, not going to steal man like... St. Thomas Aquinas does. It's okay. So, let's see if I can come up on the spot. If the church really loved gay people, wouldn't they just let them get married? Because love is love. Well, I mean, the church is not going to come after someone who is who is getting married to someone of, of the same sex. So, it's not like there's any sort of enforcement. The church is holding true to, I think, 2,000 years of, of teaching on a particular, you know, moral topic right? mm-hmm. the topic of sexuality and i think the church is protecting this ideal of marriage and family mm-hmm. of you know that a, a man and a woman in the family that they produce together uh are both an image of the trinity and you know most ideally the situation that someone can be raised in the situation that's best for someone to be raised in ideally again we live in a very broken world and i'm not you know i've had students say like well you know, well, my dad left when I was really young and, and like my mom raised me. Are you trying to trash her? And I'm like, not at all. But wouldn't you have said it would be better if he had stayed and loved your family? And again, it's it's the ideal. Right. But obviously that's not going to be lived out perfectly by us because we're broken uh, human beings. But that does just because we are imperfect doesn't mean that we can't hold on to the teaching that we strive for the reality that we we want to create. Um, And I would say people are like, well, the church hates gay people. One, I think the first misconception is like people say, the church hates me for who I am or for how I feel. And that's not true, right? Church, first of all, doesn't hate anyone. You might be able to make the argument for the devil. I don't think so. I don't think the church (laughs) or anyone in it hates or should hate anyone. Um, Because what's in question here is an act. It's a moral act, right? And it's it's the act of... um, kind of however you want to call it like the sexual embrace outside of marriage right like this is the this is the context for which that embrace is preserved whether that's someone who's attracted to someone of the same sex whether that's someone who's attracted to someone of the opposite sex or you know whatever you want to say in between it's it's about preserving this ideal so the church will state these are things that are outside of outside of the virtuous norm right whether that's anything from a sexual sin to anything in the 10 commandments and beyond, right? It's, it's about saying this is the truth and there are things outside of the truth. There is a right way and there's a wrong way. And it's not specific to any particular sin or any particular person. So again, I think the first clarification we have to remember is there's no person who is like wrong or is like sinful just by who they are. Right. I don't think anyone would ever say that and be in line with church teaching Two. Just because the church does declare that something is a sin, and in this case, homosexual, uh, whatever you want to actions, homosexual actions, yeah. um, that's one of a bevy of things that the church has topics on. I think because right now, especially in America, 
it's it's a it's kind of a, a civil rights um, kind of phenomenon that it's the church's teachings that have remained consistent throughout history coming into contact with the particular culture of this country at this time, right? Um, so throughout history, I think the church has encountered various different things. Like in the third century, everyone was almost became what we call Arian, right? They believe that Jesus wasn't actually divine. And it right. was a very, very popular idea at the time. Mm-hmm. And the church has a habit of not going with the times and of holding on to the truth that was entrusted to it by Jesus Christ. So could elaborate on that. But again, the church doesn't hate any particular person. And yes, the church makes pronouncements on whether actions are moral or not, but those aren't specific to any one person or group right, of people. Right. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, the big thing that people seem to have trouble with is you can strongly dislike what someone's doing, but still love the person. I think mm-hmm. that's uh, the the heart of the misconception of this is like, well, you don't approve of my actions. So that must mean you hate me, mm-hmm. but you can see someone and they're totally spiraling out of control in their life, but you can still love them. You know, I mean, think about, you know, someone who is, is struggling with pornography, someone who's struggling with alcoholism. I mean, you can love that person to death, but you're going to still do everything you can to help them. I mean, the same thing goes with, with homosexuality. It's, it's, and again, the church does not, and has never said that the inclination towards homosexual desires is in itself sinful. It states when you act upon it, that's when it becomes a sin. Right, in the same way for a heterosexual person. Exactly. Like I'm I'm a married man. If I just go and, you know, have sex with someone besides my wife, that is a sin. The church is very clear about that. Mm-hmm. And so, but that doesn't mean that the church hates me. That just means it wants what's best for me. It wants to get me to heaven. It wants me to become a saint. And that those acts, whether it's adultery, whether it's homosexual acts, whether it's, you know, pornography or, you know, alcoholism, all that leads you away from God. And that's the heart of the matter. What acts actually lead you away from God? And in this case, the church has declared that acting on a homosexual desire leads you away from God. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a topic that could be a whole episode. Oh, itself. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would yeah. say there's a really amazing ministry for people who are experiencing same-sex attraction in the Catholic Church. It's called Courage. Have you heard of it? I think I have, Bolchinsky, yeah. I believe, is the name of the priest who heads it up. What's his name? Uh, Courage. B, it should be B-O-C-H-A-N. It should oh. auto-populate. C-O. Oh, no, sorry. So Courage is the name of the organization. Uh-huh. And then Father B-O-C-H-A-N. There you go. S-K-I should be it, I think. I could have it totally wrong. Yeah, Father Philip Bochansky. Yeah, and they have a lot of really good resources, I think. And I, All right, cool. For fear of, of going an hour into that topic yeah. alone, right. I think that's a really good uh, direction to go with it. But I think, yeah, it's very easy when something is kind of very exciting and very celebrated in the culture uh, when people, when a, when an organization as large as the Catholic church holds to that stance, there's bound to be, there's bound to be trouble. And I think the number one thing is just being willing to have open communication. If people have questions or people have criticisms is like, we do a lot of yelling these days. 
um, and there's not a whole lot of dialogue no and i think that's the most important part it's like this whole topic of misconceptions i had a buddy who in high school who growing up uh he was raised in his church they taught him explicitly they said uh catholics are evil like i don't know what the explanation or if there was an explanation given but he told me that when we were getting to know each other a little bit he's like it's weird i'm meeting all these friends and making friends with all these catholic people and i was always raised to believe that catholics are evil and i'm like what in the world like what are we contending with like what people just kind of are are kind of fed and told and if they don't know an authentic catholic trying to live out their faith and they haven't had a conversation with them all sorts of things can just circulate absolutely and grow and grow and grow so well, there's people who think the pope is the antichrist so i mean like i remember we were at um when we went to physical therapy school out in california we went to a private christian college and uh, i wasn't catholic at the time but my wife was born and raised catholic and she's like yeah they had like a flyer on our the cars all the cars and it was like a talk on why like john paul ii was the devil or the antichrist or something. I mean, I think I can get in, I can slip into those shoes a little bit because if you don't know, and if you don't have any exposure to authentic Catholicism and there's this man, you know, in these kind of flowing wizard robes, at least kind of to your perspective, like that's a little, it's a little irreverent to say as a Catholic, but I'm, I'm trying to, state it from maybe their perspective yeah you're trying to and he's like i am commanding all faithful christians to like if you see that and you don't have any better explanation it's like that's true pretty i mean maybe he did some nice things that's true i guess okay that's fair from an intellectual perspective yeah but i guess like even growing up protestant i never like that never crossed my mind that like hey that guy he's he's probably the devil You know, and I get there's like an, totally anti-Catholic people out there, but right. and again, it's there's just, a lot of shades of, of Christian. You no, know, absolutely, but I just I, it's hard for me to picture that just because you know, because like, I always thought you know Catholics, yeah, they they have different, um, not beliefs. Per, I mean, I guess beliefs if you want to break it down, but they're still like our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like they're yeah. still Christians. And I know people think Catholics aren't Christian, you know, which is a topic for another day as well, oh. but. Um, we're only two questions in right now. We are. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I wanted to just take a quick break and tell you about this amazing product that I know you guys will love. You guys know I will not share with something that I'm not passionate about. And this has to do with uh, two favorite things of mine, the saints and coffee. Combine that into one product. You get Catholic coffee. This product is amazing, you guys. I drink this almost every day. They have coffees like St. Michael, the Archangel Dark Roast, Our Lady of Guadalupe Mexican Mocha, St. Patrick's Irish Cream, Padre Pio Express Roast, and so much more. Guys, if you guys are a father out there like me or a priestly father, you wake up early in the morning do your daily prayers. What else would you rather have but a nice cup of hot steaming coffee? And you can learn more about the saints, whether it's St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, a near and dear saint to my heart, St. Joan of the Ark, Sleeping St. Joseph, St. Peter, and so much more, you guys. They have so much great products. You can buy one bag. You can subscribe and save. Well, they ship a new bag of coffee for you every four months, every six months. They also have some awesome products that you can purchase like a traveler's mug as well. 
Guys, you don't want to miss this. And with you, for our listeners, you can have a special discount code where you just type in the promo code MANLY, that's M-A-N-L-Y. Again, MANLY in the promo code, you get 15% off of your purchase. So again, go to catholiccoffee.com. I will put a link in the show notes for you guys to get 15% off your order. Again, put the promo code MANLY, M-A-N-L-Y. That's enough of me chit-chatting, enough of you guys having a break. Let's get back to that episode. Wow, we are, and look at that, 30 minutes into recording. Is anyone still listening? Probably not. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Dan, isn't the church, doesn't it hate sex? I don't know. (laughs) You're not being a very good guest. Uh, Well, I'm I'm doing my best. Remember how I said I start things really well? Ah, that's true. That's true. Do we need to do a rosary walk? We could. Clear the mind. We could do that. Refocus. No, I think... Again, it comes. It, it's. It seems to me that this is the culture of of a certain time period coming into contact with the eternal teaching, the eternal word, you know, and and the teaching authority that Christ has given to His church. Mm-hmm. It's it's always been there. It's just what's the thing that's going to rub up against the culture? Which part that's of our teaching true. is going to be the current thing that annoys the world? Like we were we were told that the church is always going to be always going to be persecuted, right? And there's different shades of persecution. I think we have it pretty good here. I would say so. But I think people see an organization where which they would say run by men mm-hmm. telling people to not have sex. Right. On the surface, okay, that seems a little odd. But again, somebody once described the Catholic Church. It was a conversion story, actually, and I don't remember whose it was. But they talked about the Catholic Church and the teachings of the church as like stained glass. Like when you see it from the outside, when you're walking by a church, it can seem kind of like dark and strange. And like, I mean, there's something to that, but it's a little weird. And then you go inside the church and the sunlight illuminates the, the mm. glass. And you're like, Oh, okay. I get, I get it, it now. Hmm. Seeing it holistically, seeing the whole picture of what Christ is calling us to and, and, and trying to lead us to this again, that ideal that we were talking about, like, we see the breakdown of the family over the last 50 years with the sexual revolution, with you know contraception. Contraception is a funny one because it's like pretty much just Catholics have have the issue. That's true. Yeah. It, it really is just Catholics, isn't it? Yeah. And, just, and like IVF and all that too. Right. Yeah. But all of these things that are teachings of the church that seem strange, when you put them within the context of the picture of the ideal, the picture of what God is calling us to, um, it makes much more sense it does this idea of like well what are the potential consequences of having sex outside of marriage right outside of a committed relationship um well you might have a baby yeah (laughs) not i mean that's not people talk about it like it's a side effect like oh it it might it's like that's what this act that's what's legitimately designed for right 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 yeah and like bringing life into the world is is I mean, you're the dad. I'm not. But yeah. that's pretty heavy business. It is. Yeah. Um, and to separate the act that brings life into the world from the context of loving that life and of protecting that life. Right. Uh, is uh, just it's just a kind of an irresponsible picture, especially when there's just selfish, you know, ulterior motives. We all have them. But if there's if there's other motives for doing it that are maybe not the best. Um, again, it kind of goes against this 
beauty that's being preserved. I keep coming back to that, but it's like, yeah, the, the ideal the church is, teaching is, back to that. is preserving yeah. the good for all of our sakes. Right. Um, so the church would say sex has a purpose to it, right? There is a properly ordered nature to it and a context for it that is, is most appropriate for life to be run into the world. Um, and so anything that, you know, the church is saying, well, don't have, the church is not saying don't have sex. In fact, one of the first lines of the Bible is be, be fruitful, fruitful and multiply. The yep. Bible, one mm-hmm. of the first things the Bible says is have sex. Like Genesis but, 128. But it also, yeah, right. It also doesn't deny that sex has a nature. It has a form. It has a context, right? This kind of sort of, I don't, I don't want to speak unintelligently here, but like this kind of nihilistic view of just like anything goes, nothing really has a purpose or a meaning. It's just whatever we assign to it. Right. I think the, the problem is the church is diametrically opposed to that. Is it right. has a picture of creation. It's saying that there is an intelligent creator who has brought life into the world with a purpose and a meaning. And I think we're experiencing a crisis of meaning uh, in the world today because, mm. because we don't have maybe that picture because we're kind of thrust into a world that's trying to get rid of any sort of restriction, any sort of moral obligation. Well, that's a great irony too, though, isn't it? Is the more you try to lift restrictions, so to speak, the less free you actually are. So I'm glad you said that. It's, oh, almost, like you, it's almost like you gave it that to me. Planted. No, there's, let's do it. Well, there's this idea in moral theology of, I don't remember the exact terminology. I'm very rusty. It's been a while That's since right. the old teaching days. But this idea of kind of freedom from versus freedom for. Mm-hmm. So freedom from just kind of this license. Like, I don't want to have to follow the rules. I want to do whatever I can do. As opposed to freedom for, which is like the, the picture that people always paint with this is like the concert pianist. Like, I can't mm-hmm. sit down and play anything by Beethoven. I can't. I can maybe play chopsticks right now. But... Some a concert pianist who has trained themselves for that has a freedom that I don't. Right, and it's because they followed rules. It's because they put put into practice certain virtues and certain habits. I two months ago maybe wouldn't have gotten up at six in the morning when it's raining and cold outside. Of course, it wasn't raining and cold then, but because I hadn't formed that habit of getting up and going for a walk and praying my rosary, it's 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 this freedom that comes from staying within certain boundaries. I mean, mm. rules that set you free. Like if you're, if you're an Olympian, there are certain rules that you follow right. to make sure that you maximize your athleticism. And St. Paul talks about Christianity in those terms. He talks about it as running a race so as to win Right. Christianity. You know, we have this, there's this term that's, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's, uh, it's like therapeutic something deism. It's a term mm. that was coined to kind of describe sort of a general idea of who people think God is people who are, you know, spiritual and they kind of believe in God, but they don't really have it, but they don't want religion. Right. It's this idea that God is, is yeah, I believe in God and I know I'm going to heaven and everything's going to be okay. Like that's the God they believe in. Mm -hmm. We contrasted with St. Paul, who is basically like run so as to win, like, because you could lose. Right. The necessary corollary of winning is losing, losing. Yeah. Right. So I don't, I feel like that was a little bit rambly, but the point being is the setting of these standards. One is to try to point out the truth of God's creation, the actual outline of the world God made for us. And two is to preserve our freedom to, to be great. Pope Benedict says you were not made for 
what you were not made for comfort you were made for yeah, greatness. for greatness right and that's right. kind of runs along parallel to, to these to these ideas is that all these moral calls from the church are not meant to be restrictive in the sense that it makes our life miserable they're meant to there's an example I saw or heard once. I don't remember who it was from, but it's kind of like a playground with a, with a fence. There's a lot of territory to be joyful in, but the fence keeps us from what's dangerous. The fence right. keeps us from the cliff that we could fall off. Yeah. You know? And if you kick the kickball over the fence and you run after it and you don't have a fence there and there's a cliff. Okay. You're going off the cliff. Right. And I just think it's a little presumptuous even for, you know, I'm 31 years old. I, I would not consider myself wise, you know, but I, uh, the wisdom of 2000 years of tradition, not to mention the word of God incarnate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should be a little, a little humble before that. Oh, absolutely. Consider the, the thoughts that have come before us. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, the, what the church is battling now has battled. They've battled before. So it's not like, Oh, we've never dealt with this before. I mean, you literally can go back to the church fathers and find what the new atheists are saying nowadays. Yeah. That I mean, it's not it's not a it's, surprise. It's you see the like sort of condescending like thirteen year old kid <laughs> who just started becoming an atheist. Right. He was like raised in a household that has like a certain faith, mm-hmm. and he like, well, if God loves you, then why does he allow suffering? <laughs> Check me. It's like, oh wow, never thought of that in the, in the history. <laughs> this of the is church. awkward. No one has ever considered that. You're right. right. Let's let's overturn two thousand years of intellectual. I'm being atheist rich. now. Oh well, that's but, not what we wanted to do today. But the thing too about what you said is, if there is objective truth, and it goes back to our culture of relativism, if there is objective truth, by its nature, you are going to restrict other worldviews, mm. right? Because mm. if there's mm. truth, then you're going to reject something. Yeah. You have to. Otherwise, it's not two plus two does equal four, and then it rejects every other number, right? Yikes. So, you know, this whole idea, I mean, Bishop Barron talks about it too. He talks about it in relation to sports, but I mean, anything, whether it's business or, I mean, companies, just, I mean, if you talk about the world of business, there are certain rules and regulations uh, that you have to follow. There are certain rules that the government puts in place to have, you know, proper working conditions for workers and and things like that. But if you are not a boss, if you are an employee, you have to follow certain protocols with your company. Otherwise, you're going to get fired, right? But, you know, we think, oh, my gosh, I'm so restricted. But if it was a free-for-all, nothing would ever get done. You know, Bishop Barron talks about this with he he loves baseball. And talked about if there were no rules for baseball, nobody would play it because nobody would know. Because like you said, if there's not a winner – or a loser, you know, in sports, then what, what's the point of playing? You know, because there has to be an objective, and that's what he talks about. There, there, There's something beautiful about a team coming together for one specific goal for an objective. If there is no objective to why they're there, they might hang around for a little bit, but eventually they're going to disperse and go their separate ways because there's no and goal. And that's what I was saying about, like, this kind of crisis of meaning. Like, we don't – people don't know what life is even for. Right. And God has an answer for that. Yeah. He has provided a very clear purpose for our life. And I feel like there's studies and studies and studies that show, and I feel like Victor Frankl actually talks about a lot, a lot about this in in search for meaning, but like, like the amount of happiness and the amount of contentedness in religious families versus, versus those who are 
maybe not is it's it's pretty stark i'd have to look it up but i've i've heard these statistics thrown around a lot and mm-hmm. it's unsurprising to me i mean yeah i would agree with that but, so so i think we digressed a little bit maybe a little bit that's all right hate sex it does not hate sex okay. it loves sex and on a, another thing too is that i mean there's a whole book in the bible that's basically about sex song of solomon Whoa. or song of Sol- Sol- song song of solomon thank aka you. song of songs yes thank you all right dan isn't the church misogynistic? Um, I, th- I don't. Don't think they so. hate women? Why? Okay, what's the premise? Wh- why? Why are there no women priests? Why did Jesus become a man? Great question. Because he loves us. Yeah, and he's the ultimate sacrifice. I always i I hope Jesus doesn't mind that I do this, but I always kind of point Uh-oh. to him. I'm always like, well, take it up with him. Because he had 12 male apostles and he had female followers. He had, he was known for breaking cultural norms to uplift the dignity of women. Absolutely. Um, I, I would say that the kind of the standard explanation for the, the all male priesthood is first and foremost, this kind of imitation of the person of Christ. The priest is acting, we say in persona Christi. Um, and I guess you, you would say it is most, perfectly lived out in a, in a, in a male person. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I've heard it explained before. But again, ultimately that argument is not conv- as convincing to me as the, as just the idea that Christ himself chose his 12 apostles who are the successors of his authority, of his authority to teach and his, and of his authority to, to govern, right? The priest, prophet, and King, so right. to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's this priesthood of, of all believers, right, that the church talks about. In a, in a certain sense, we all have those qualities. But in a particular ministerial way, Christ chose 12 men. And you, if you look at the early church, that was, the, that was how it progressed. It didn't kind of, you know, blossom into, oh, well, now we have female. Pri-. Now people will say, oh, well, there's like deaconesses in yeah. the early church. And you can kind of get into the weeds about, Oh, well, was there a sacramental seal or, you know, is if it's, it's holy orders, but it's not priestly orders. It's just the diaconate. And, you know, you can get into that if you want to, but I mean, ultimately the priesthood was instituted by Christ. He chose 12 males and that's how it, how it developed. It could have, it could have gone any other way. And and I think, again, I kind of come back to this idea of approaching the teachings from a place of humility, approaching the teachings from being inside of the church building and looking at the, at the stained glass and saying, okay, why might it be like this? Right. An opportunity to kind of reflect on why he chose to do that as opposed to saying he should have done something different. Well, I think we, as a society, I mean, we always look back and we think we, we're so much more intelligent than our predecessors, right? We're like, oh, we know so much more than they did. Oh, yeah. And how oh, foolish, snobbery. how foolish we are so much of the time. But yeah, I mean, it, I love what you said. It's, it's having that humility to just submit to a teaching and say, I don't know why this is, but I'm going to accept it because I trust who implemented it. Okay. Why did you just pick 12 apostles that were all male? I don't know, but he did. All right. Another thing, too, practically speaking, if as as Catholics, we truly believe that when a priest is up on the altar and he's doing the Eucharistic prayers, he's turning the, the bread and the and the wine or the 
the bread and the wine into Jesus' body and blood, he's acting in persona Christi, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus was a male. If there was a woman up there, then she cannot become Christ and trans and and perform the act of you know transubstantiation, right? So, I mean, practically speaking, that's impossible. And I feel like one of our other uh, misconceptions that's coming up, you can't hold both of them to be true. Well, exactly. Because wor- one of the ones coming up is worshiping Mary. How do we worship Mary and hate women? Right. <laughs> like, <that's> no, pretty- <laughs> it, no, it's true. That Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think that's number six. But, yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, most misconceptions, I mean, they're, they're not really coherent, right? They're, you know, I, well, if you believe that, then I can't in a sense, believe the other thing that you're accusing me of because that would contradict itself. But, um, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the church does not hate women. I mean, Mary, besides Jesus, is the most reverent person in the church, right? Um, and so... And I will say some of some of the most celebrated saints and some of, I at least my personal favorite saints, are the female saints. Saint right. Therese of Lisieux, St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, Our Lady again, right. Saint Mary Magdalene, Saint Josephine Baquita, back on my phone. If you don't uh, know, oh, look her up. there you class. go. Um, so again, it's it's it goes to this element of is participating in Christ's ministerial priesthood the summit of human dignity? Like, as a man or as a woman, if I look at the priesthood and say, in order for me, like, like let's say some, there's just uh, for example, I. If I were a woman and I thought to myself, a Catholic woman, and I said, I want to be a priest and the Catholic church says that I cannot be a priest, where does that conflict arise from? Because again, if I'm approaching it from a place of humility saying, okay, well, this is what the church is teaching. Like why, again, asking the question, why, like digging deeper into that, both in study and in prayer. But then if I kind of insist on it, because you see a lot of these parishes where you see like women who have quote unquote become ordained, right? but they're not in communion with the church. right? So you've, you've kind of gone and made your own church in, in, a, in a certain sense. And I, and I got to be honest with you, it's, it's these misconceptions that make me even more attracted to and more drawn to this church, because it would be very easy. It'd be very easy to just be like, you know what? That's those are such old school rules. We were barbarians back then. Right. And just let it go. But it's the church that has stubbornly held on to those things, not because it makes us popular. Not <laughs> quite because, the opposite. In not fact. because it's helping us, you know, win souls superficially. But if it's the truth and if it's given to us by Christ, that's where we really have to do our pondering. In John six, when Jesus is teaching, he's giving the bread of life discourse and he talks about you have to eat my flesh. Like that seems, forget all the other That's stuff that we weird. talked about. He literally goes, you have to eat my flesh. And people walked away and he didn't go, oh, guys, like I was just kidding. It's a little weird joke. I know they don't all land. Um, but like he didn't stop them because he was preaching the truth and they left because it was a radical teaching. Right. And he turns to, I think, Peter and he says, Will you also go? And they said, where are we going to go? Yeah. Yours are the words of eternal life. When it comes to any of these misconceptions, even if I don't have fully formulated my answer to all of them, it comes back to, do I believe that Jesus existed, that he's the divine son of God, that he died and rose from the dead, and that he taught these things Hmm. or did these things? Because if the first thing is true and the second thing is true, then maybe the problem 
is in my own spirit or in my own mind right in my own reconciliation with <laughs> the world around me i think it's funny all these misconceptions that kind of comes back to the same essence which is do you believe what the church teaches or not yeah and if you don't no one's, yeah but i mean it's it really is a question of humility mm-hmm. it's you think you know better and I th- and you may have noticed, like I, I'm very careful with some of the things I'm saying, and it makes me not, I feel like, able to speak with as much of a flow mm-hmm. because generally, I, when I have these conversations with people, I'm much more of a listener. It's very hard for me to make like very clear statements, like un- unambiguous, objective statements, especially mm-hmm. if I can't have a conversation, like in this context where I'm being recorded. It's like because I think in these situations, it goes back to what we said, like. We need to be able to have a dialogue right? Uh, and that goes two different ways and be able to kind of both speak the truth and, st- and stand up for what we believe in, but also be able to listen and, and, kind of and, and understand where the other person comes from. Right. Because right. I mean, what one person's going to take from what you're saying is going to be different from what another person says. So you have to meet them where they're at. Right. So I think we should skip to seven. <gasps> Why? Cause it connects to, to five. Catholic? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, six. <laughs> six? Should we do six? Well, and we kind of did six. Yeah. So, Catholics worship Mary. We kind of covered that. Catholics do not worship Mary. Yeah. Worship, I think it was Jimmy Aiken said this. The word worship is is basically like what do you consider worthy to praise, essentially. So, like, well, what if I praise you for your like haircut, though? I'm like, hey, nice haircut. That's praise. That is praise. So, okay, so obviously Jesus is the only thing that we worship, right? He's the ultimate, I mean, he's God, right? So when we when we claim that we worship Mary, it's just, it's literally understanding what the word worship means. So like we never put Mary on the same pedestal as Jesus, like that's impossible to do, right? If If people are doing that, then that goes totally against church teaching because the church has never taught that. And you need to confess that because that's not good. That'll actually damn you to hell. I mean, as much as as much as we love Mary, you know, she'd be the first one to say, "If you worship me more than my son, then you need to stop right now." Right? Uh, I mean, it goes with any of the saints as well. I mean, they are saints because of Jesus, right? Well, and I think that's the thing. I think the confusion is for, and again, tell me from your background too. Like for a lot of non-Catholic Christians. Prayer is conversation with God. Right. And so for us, you know, whether that's in our room or in the car or with friends or whatever, like when we're praying out loud or even praying in our head to God, I think if a non-Catholic Christian looks at a Catholic having a conversation with someone else who is not got like it's I think it's very there's a lot of a disconnect there. It's like Absolutely. oh well you're having this conversation of prayer but it's not with God. And I think it, again, it stems from the recognition by the church that the saints are alive in heaven and that we do have a special connection to them. And then that they're not in the way of God, but that it's this beautiful understanding. I think Scott Hahn and Patrick Madrid both have really good stuff on this, that the church is a family. It's three parts. There's the church triumphant in heaven, the church militant on earth and the church suffering and purgatory. Mm -hmm, Right. But that all three parts of the church are alive. And that we can pray for each other and we can interact with our family in the various ways that are appropriate for our context. So I think that misconception of 
kind of the worship is this idea that we're talking to someone who's not here with us. Right. But it's just, it's just not the case. It's not this worship due to God alone, recognizing the divine that we are created for. Right. Mary is not divine and she is not the, the, the ultimate purpose and meaning and fulfillment of our lives. Right. She's our, she's our mother and she's Christ's mother and she guides us towards that purpose. But to miss the mark and land at Mary is again, you said it's a confessible sin to, to worship Mary when it right. is, when it's due to God alone. So I actually found the article that Jimmy Aiken wrote. So he said oh, the term worship originally just meant worthiness or honor and the old sense, anytime you honor or signal the worthiness of someone or something, it was an act of worship. But in our modern day tongue and contemporary English, the term worship has come to mean the honor due to God alone. And if you try using it any other way, you're going to get confusion. Uh, so, so basically, the the word that we use for worship, what it used to be was just like I'm honoring you. I find you worthy uh, mm-hmm. for me to give you praise or honor, right? But right. now we only think of it as well. Whatever happened, this is only due to God alone. But that has not what the original intention of was i mean so where words come from matter and i think we we lose that especially in our culture nowadays where we just kind of flip-flop you know what words mean versus their original intention um i think honestly that's probably where a lot of the confusion comes nowadays it's like where did this actually originate what was the original intention and then we just turn around to again meet our modern day minds and we think we're better than our our ancestors. Yeah. And when we see people kind of playing, playing around with language and we can yes. just say, Oh, just whatever. It's just let them do. It. It's like, no, don't let them do like language has significance. Right. It has meaning and it creates structure for our world. And if we are just like breaking down the language and we can't communicate, literally can't communicate with each other. Right. You know, it, 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 it's this constant tension between like order and chaos. Right. It just pushes us away from that order and towards, towards that chaos that, Again, that purposelessness that that so many people are, I think, experiencing. Let's go to the next one. I do like the topic of Catholics aren't Bible-believing Christians, and I'll just say one thing about that. Ooh, let's hear that one thing. Uh, where is the divinely inspired table of contents? <gasps> I think that's a Patrick Madridism. I think it is. But that's for every non-Catholic Christian, brother or sister of ours, who says Catholics aren't Bible-believing Christians— the first question you always got to ask is where did you get your Bible mm-hmm. and why? Like they'll say, well, it's the word of God. I'll be like, why do you read your Bible? They'll say it's the word of God. And I'm like, how do you know? Right. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's self, it's self authenticating. Right. Well, well, what if I pick up another book and it says, this is the word of God. That doesn't make it the word. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. so because un, for you to give authority to scripture, is ultimately to give authority to whoever gave it. No, that's a bad way to put it. Let me, let me back I, up a little I, second. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. No. Well, because there's a difference between like, I'm going to use a fancy word here, the epistemological uh, question and the ontological question. So mm-hmm. scripture has the authority of God because it, it is the divinely inspired word of God, ontologically. It is. By nature of what it is, it has authority. But epistemologically, meaning like how we know that it has authority, we, we can't know unless authority has been given to some authenticator mm-hmm. right so the church ha- through the inspiration of the holy spirit has said and has stated these are the books that are inspired um that belong in the canon of scripture um 
it's not the church that gives the authority to the Bible, but it's the church that by given God has given the church, the authority to reveal that truth to right. say, um, because again, the Bible, Jesus didn't write the Bible and the Bible didn't float down out of the clouds. It was mm-hmm. compiled by men. And the question is, how do we know those men who chose were inspired by God? How do we, where, where, where does it even come from? Right. And I think that's the question you, you always want to ask in that conversation. If somebody accuses you, I don't know, people come off the street and be like, you don't believe in the Bible. Um, it's like, well, why do you believe in the Bible? Like I, as Catholics, I think a lot of the time we're, very much on the defensive. And I think right. it's appropriate sometimes to turn it around and just say, okay, well, why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you think it's the word of God? And where did it come from? And go down that road. It's a very Socratic so. method of you. Hey, well, I was a teacher for a while. Oh, that's true. But St. Thomas Aquinas. But no, I mean, and too, another thing you can ask too is why did, why does your Bibles have less books than... Ooh. The Catholic one. Our reading today actually was from Maccabees. <gasps> that is true. That was a good, good reading today. It's my favorite reading in the whole Bible. Is it really? Maccabees chapter seven. Wow. It Isn't it true too? I mean, if you if you didn't read any other scripture and you just went to mass every day for three years because it's year A, B, and C, you'd get like seventy percent of the Bible or sixty five percent or something like that. It's a lot. Somebody once told me it was the whole Bible, and I was like, I don't think that's right. I was right. excited about that. It's You're right. It's not the whole Bible. It's like 70%. But it's, it's a, a good cho- you, chunk. Yeah. yeah. And that's if you didn't do anything else. I mean, the readings take, what, like five minutes right. when you're in Mass. So if right. you if you go to daily Mass as well, um, you'd get over three years, because the church rotates, you'd get yeah. most of the Bible. It's an awfully strange practice for a church that doesn't believe in the Bible to read the Bible to people. Every yeah. Day. Well, exactly. You know, and I mean, it's just... I mean, everything the church does, even in mass, it, it's strictly from scripture. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do not realize. I mean, I wow, what was the book? It was a biblical walk through the mass. Oh, um, I Brent think I Petrie? have it. Um, there it is. Let's see it. Uh, Dr. Edwards. Oh, three. I don't yes. know why I get those two mixed up. A biblical walk through the mass, understanding what we say and do in the liturgy. Very good book. Highly recommend it. Um, uh, but yeah, everything that we do from when we kneel, when we stand, what the priest is saying, uh, the songs we sing, everything, it is all based on scripture, you know? And I think a lot of times people misconstrue that, you know, it's just a man-made, uh, like like almost like the Pharisees, you know, who just add a bunch of rules just for the heck of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, everything the church does, it is biblically sound, and there's a purpose behind it. It's not, you know, just for the heck of it. And there's a reason behind it. Very visible Catholic uh, devotions, like the Rosary, the rugged uh, Rosary, the rugged Rosary, is, not a sponsor, <laughs> not a sponsor, um, <laughs> is is a meditation on Scripture. If you go through the the twenty mysteries of the Rosary. You're praying through the Bible, right? Which is awesome. Yeah. And that was a conversation I was having with a friend the other day is like, even for my non-Catholic Christian friends, like the name of Jesus is, is like declared I think 59 times. If you pray through the rosary Mm -hmm. through one set of five decades, Mm -hmm. one set of mysteries and there's power in that. I think it's, it's a good reminder. Like this, this is not just kind of, what do they call those? The kind of the meaningless repetitions, but it's, it's, a meditation on the Bible itself. Right. But 
Well, even the Hail Mary, too, if you want to break that down. I mean, Jesus is at the center of the Hail Mary. Yeah. yeah. Luke's gospel, too. Luke's gospel. I mean, the whole Hail Mary is, is it's all from, from the, the Scripture. Bible. Pretty much the whole <laughs> thing all, is from the Bible. It's all from Scripture. Yeah. <laughs> all right, last one. Last one. We made it. Oh, Catholics think they can pay their way into heaven. Is this actually a misconception I anymore? I, I think this, this is kind of I a... Think it was a misconception 500 years ago. What happened 500 years ago? I don't ask me to go there. <laughs> <laughs> For next time. I think there were corrupt practices within the church where, you know, we talk about indulgences. I am not an expert on indulgences. And the actual practice of indulgences may be a good, maybe a good episode topic for you at some point. But we can do that. It is one of those topics where I'm like, I don't understand this. I, I'm not particularly worried about it. Yeah. And I'm just going to engage in that humility, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from, from my, maybe you have a better understanding of the history of it, but. I know you said there's corrupt practices, but basically people, there were priests that essentially were giving out indulgences. So an indulgence, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically, go ahead. I was going to say, it's a remission for temporal punishment due to sin. In purgatory. Yeah. So basically, like less heaven free. Right. It's like less time in purgatory when you have an indulgence. Right. Granted to you. So essentially, so there are certain acts that you can perform and certain criteria that you have to meet in order to obtain an indulgence. Right. Um, like going to confession and um, you have to um, basically. There are a lot of actually very easy ones. There's a handbook of indulgences that you can that you can oh, read there you through. Go. There are some criteria attached to receiving. So there's two different types of indulgences. One is a partial and one is a plenary indulgence. Right. Um, so I will say what I do know about it. There you go. Um, and a plenary indulgence is—I mean, you think of the word like plenty? I think uh, oh, plenary okay. is is a full remission of all of the temporal punishment due to sin. So again, okay. sin has consequences in terms of your culpability, your mm-hmm. guilt, which is erased in confession, uh, but it still has that uh, temporal consequences, right? That punishment in a certain sense or that purification necessary that's still attached to the act itself. It's like when I do a sin, I actually become a worse person a little bit. Um, But anyway, so plenary indulgence is a removal of all of that. Mm -hmm. So if you received a plenary indulgence and you met all the criteria for it, you die, you get hit by a bus. My understanding is you're straight shot to heaven, not to anywhere else. (laughs) Straight shot. (laughs) Um, like this wasn't worth it. Uh, but there are some really tough, uh, kind of restrictions to it. Like, well, they're, they, they're easy. I mean, you have to receive uh confession and absolution. I think within, I think it's a week or so within a week, you days. have to receive communion. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to pray for the Pope's intentions, right? There's certain prayers you have to do. And then you also have to have a complete detachment from sin. That's one of the which, criteria. And which, I'm like, what does I know, that mean? I yeah. never really knew. Like, I'm trying to get complete detachment from sin, but how do you know <laughs> if you've obtained that? That sounds like a great episode. Wow. <laughs> what are the, these kind so of moral episodes. gray areas of like, what actually is meant by that? But anyway. Yeah. So so as you know, Dan was going through, it's, it's designed to go through penance Mm -hmm. on earth essentially there was a practice in the middle ages where priests were just giving them out if people basically paid them 
right? People have said anything from just like pocketing that to they needed to they needed money to like rebuild churches or something. Right. And, so it was a, it was a practice that was definitely corrupted, and that needed to be reformed. And I think but that, the Pope never infallibly taught that. It that was, is <laughs> true. <laughs> Ex cathedra never happened. With While that there one. were horses and and corpses in the papal palace, horses and corpses. <laughs> only the band name. I'm gonna name. I'm gonna name this episode horses, horses and, corpses and corpses with Dan McNally. Please do that. I will do that. I really hope you do. I'm going to write that down. You're going to get a lot of clicks. Horses. Horses and corpses. (laughs) This is awesome. He he is literally changing the name of the episode right now. Corpses. With Dan McNally. (laughs) Wow. This is great. Good content. Also a good name for a band, as you mentioned. So put that on my list. Do you have a list? My brother and I do. Yeah, it's been going on for probably 10 years now. Do you like send this list off to like producers and say, "Hey, if you have a band that doesn't that needs a name, here's one." <laughs> we have the intellectual property rights to all of these names. Do you really? Is horses and corpses no, no, one of them? Oh. No, it will be. That's too bad. Well, you should do that. So, Any other misconceptions that you can think of? Yeah, I think I think one thing as Catholics that we should that I've really been exploring is what does the church actually teach hmm. on on various topics. You know where you can learn about that? Well, what a segue, and I didn't even the intend The Catechism it. of the Catholic you were ready Church. For that. I just saw it, and I was like, you know what? You should do that. You well, should because read that. I think a lot of the time we can get misinformed by well-intentioned people, oh, and, and we have ideas of like, oh, well, I always believed that you know an angel gets its wings when somebody goes, what? What, what is that from? Angels gets from that Oh, movie? yeah, I know what you're talking about. Gosh, I'm, oh, ter- I'm terrible for not knowing Anyway, the point, the point being like there, there are some that are less, you know, dangerous and some that are more dangerous that we've just picked up from whatever various kind of subculture we're a part of. And, and like, and the conversations that we've had with people and just kind of in the back of our mind, we're like, yeah, that's what the church teaches. Like, and that's when it comes down to it, like whenever there's something that's bothering you, you know, that's pricking your conscience about like. Why does the church teach that? I genuinely believe that's the Holy Spirit calling you to a deeper, oh, 100%. a deeper understanding of what you believe. Because every time it's kind of like the quote, who, who was that? I think it was Fulton Sheen that said, you know, there are not 100 people mm-hmm. in the United States that hate the Catholic church, right. but there are millions who hate what they falsely believe to be the Catholic right. church. Right. Anytime I have found one of these topics, particularly these on this list, um, and really dug into the theology, really dug into the practice. And what do we actually teach versus what do people say that we teach? There's always one. I It's it's explained very well. Mm-hmm. And not by me, but by others who are you know more articulate than myself. And two, there is always a beauty in it. There's always something beautiful. And so I just encourage you, if there's something, some topic that is 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 bothering you, that's not you being pushed away from the church. That's the Holy Spirit inviting you to draw in deeper. And really dig in and really kind of embrace the the uncertainty. And it's, I think, a beautiful invitation. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, it's just a good reminder, too, that always question what you hear as well. Even, oh, from, yeah. even from what we are saying. I mean, we're just two guys that are doing the best we can, but we make mistakes as well. I mean, there's there's plenty of other incredible people out there. I mean, Dr. Scott Hahn is one that we mentioned in the earlier episodes, but he, even he would admit that he doesn't know everything, that he's constantly learning, that he um, may have believed something about the Catholic Church in the past that he now knows was either false or maybe not a full understanding of it. So there's always 
there's always something to learn and there's always something that you can dive deeper into, like you mentioned, and you have something pulled up here. Yeah, it's a scripture verse that I think is a perfect kind <gasps> yes. of Click, perfect a conclusion. Just oh, a bow let's on hear top it. Of, well, it's, I mean, we've all heard this verse before, but it's I think a really good one. First uh, Thessalonians five twenty one. Uh, but test all things, hold mm-hmm. fast to what is good. Absolutely, amen to that. Test, test it. If it doesn't ring true, maybe there's more to learn. You know, I'm going to issue a, uh, a a James challenge. I haven't done a challenge in a while, but I'm nervous. just feeling nervous. Why are you nervous? I don't know what the challenge I was gonna, is. Well, it's just going to be about the catechism. Oh, perfect. Because I've actually done a catechism challenge before. So I'm reissuing the challenge. Okay. First Here. of all, buy a catechism if you have not. You already have one? Is this for your listeners or for me? For everyone. Oh, Everyone. It's universally binding on Do the you, whole church. No, I'm not the Pope. <laughs> do you have a catechism? I do. Which catechism do you like? I like that one. This one. But I will say, uh, what's the Ascension uh, Ascension Press? Yeah, is bringing they're <gasps> they're publishing a new catechism because Father Mike Schmitz is doing his Catechism yes, of the Year podcast. That's right. Which, by the way, if you want to learn what the church teaches, 2023 is the year for you because Father Mike is doing. Uh, catechism in a year so he's gonna be doing daily podcast episodes diving into the catechism and i'm I really excited for that. so excited and yeah ascension is publishing a, a kind of a companion catechism that is going to go with ascension it. is great they have a yeah. lot of good content mm-hmm. free shout out to ascension press there so okay so if you don't have a catechism buy one mm-hmm. if you when you get it i want you well actually subscribe to the uh 2023 catechism in the year yes that will be, I actually really am excited about that. We'll just make it, we'll just keep it simple. Yeah. We'll do that. Just Buy a catechism. That way you can, that way you can follow along too when he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just learn your faith. I mean, again, it's, it's so much more than just, oh, I do the, the daily mass readings every morning, right. which is a great start. Don't get me wrong, but meditate on it, chew on it, actually yeah. learn your faith because you will. And it's, it's not an encyclopedia. Like you go in there right. thinking it's going to be boring and I come away from the catechism just, in awe every time. Right. It's so beautifully written. Right. And it's such good stuff to chew on. Right. 100%. So that's a challenge. Catechism. Subscribe to the Father Mike Sh- oh, Actually, I don't know if you can subscribe yet. I don't know if it's... Uh, actually, I think you can. I think you can. I think it actually he did like an intro episode, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so you should look that up. I'm going to look at well, there you go. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you did very me. well for being nervous. Wow. Was Cup. I nervous? You said I thought you said you were. I was nervous. Maybe for the I James did. challenge. Oh, the J- that's right. Well, so we got nervous. Papa Joe with our cup of Joe. Do you still have coffee, or do you finish your? I'm gonna <gasps> Me too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Manly Catholic. Just go out there and be a saint. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of The Manly Catholic. If you have not already done so, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. It will also help grow the show and reach as many men as possible. We truly think this podcast can change families and help men to change the world. Thank you again so much for tuning in and God bless you.